0: And to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful that we can come together, study your word, because it is in your word that you reveal yourself to us, you teach us who you are, who we are, and how we are to live in concordance with your will. Father, it is through the book of Proverbs that we learn something more in terms of how to live life well, in order how to live life skillfully, how to live life in such a way that our, our life produces something in the end that is of eternal significance and value because it reflects uh, who you are within our very lives. And we reflect your honor, your glory back to you by the way in which we utilize your word as we live in the midst of a fallen uh, culture, fallen world, corrupt world, and a wicked and perverse generation. Father, we pray that you challenge us from your word today, that as we study, we might be reminded the importance of your word and what our priorities should be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Now, last week, in the midst of a rather hectic two or three days uh, up in uh, Washington D.C. and then coming back, traveling, things of that, for some reason, I don't know why, call it, uh, you know, some sort of a premonition of things to come, maybe or whatever, I just skipped a whole chapter in Proverbs and went from the end of Proverbs one to the beginning of Proverbs three. Only one person, Taylor Williams, called me Tuesday. He said, "Robbie." Seems to me I must have missed something. I know I missed a Sunday, but I don't think I could have missed the whole second chapter. His wife, Marilyn, didn't have it either, and I thought, well, I better go back and check. So I checked the website, and how about that? I skipped a whole chapter. So we're back to chapter 2, following things in the proper order in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Now this is bringing us to the second uh Lesson in this series, as I've pointed out, the theme of Proverbs really is on making wise choices. Wisdom is at the core of Proverbs, and as I've pointed out, biblical wisdom isn't the and and Jewish wisdom, Hebrew wisdom, isn't the same concept as you have of Sophos uh, uh, wisdom in in Greek culture. There, it's more intellectual, academic, uh, logical reasoning, philosophy, as it were. But in The Hebrew culture in the Old Testament, it has to do with the application of God's word in various circumstances and situations in life. And a lot of times in the decisions that we make in life, the choices that we have are not always between sin and not sin. They're choices between the good and the better, the not so wise and the wise. And it takes time to develop uh, and mature in our understanding of the Word and our understanding of life to be able to live wisely. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something you can ever develop if all you do is a- expose yourself to the teaching of God's Word once a week. Sometimes I feel like telling people, you know, if you just want to show up once a week or listen once a week for, t- so that you can check off that you... Uh, paid attention to God or you went to church and you can tell people that you are a member of a certain church, you're really not going to get anywhere, and I'm not sure it really has spiritual value for you if that's all you get is once a week. Because we live in a world today that is so overpowering in its message and its influence in our lives that that I often think that if we were to have the um, sort of a veil removed from our eyes so that we could truly accurately see all of our opinions, all of our ideas, all of our thinking, all of our values exposed in the, in, in the pure, blinding, righteous light of, uh, of God's holiness, then we would be appalled at how much of our thinking is worldly and not biblical, how much of our thinking is, is human viewpoint and not divine viewpoint. We, but we, we reach a comfort zone and this is true for everybody we reach certain comfort zones in our spiritual life and i think we also reach plateaus as we grow spiritually and then uh, but we have to stick to it and that's one of the tests of spiritual growth is endurance and endurance means sticking it out in in bible class bible study studying the word Because no matter what we learn, no matter where we are in the word of God, whether we're dealing with prophecy or salvation, whether we're dealing with the spiritual life, uh, whether we're dealing with prayer, marriage, whether we're dealing with things that are more abstract, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of those things we learn are part and parcel of shaping the way we are to think and look at the world around us to evaluate the circumstances, situations, decisions that that come our way, and it's from that change, the impact of that, that changes the way we think, that enables us over time to think wisely and not foolishly, to think accurately and not carelessly. And so, Proverbs is focused on that, the lessons of a father to the son. But as we see, as we read through Proverbs, as these sections begin. With the, um, with the father saying to his son, things like we read in the very first verse, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, that the father isn't just, isn't just passing on his opinions, his ideas about life. This isn't the view of, of the, the dad who's saying, I want you to think like I think. Because the, the, the father in this case is Solomon who has been gifted with wisdom, divine wisdom, more than any other human being in all of history. And so the wisdom that he is passing to his son isn't Solomon's personal opinion. It is the d- eternal wisdom of God. And that so that when he speaks, what he is speaking of, what he is teaching is not just his own view and so there's this this slight movement that goes back and forth between uh, what the father is instructing his son and then it becomes apparent that this is what God is instructing all of us and that this is one of the primary roles of the parent is to communicate divine viewpoint to children it's not the role of the church it's not the role of the village it's not the role of the community. It is the role of the parent, the parents, father and mother, and the ultimate responsibility upon the father to be the spiritual leader within the home and to pass on uh, generationally from one generation to the next truth. This is going to be a topic of one of the uh, presentations at the conference uh, coming up. And the issue ultimately comes down to this issue of choice, this issue of volition. Volition just resonates uh, behind the, every single verse in Proverbs. That, that we, as we read these wise sayings, we're struck by the fact that, that each of us needs to make a decision. Are we doing this? Or are we living life according to our own ideals, our own values? our own concepts and opinions, and uh, what makes us comfortable, or are we focused upon that which will please God and that which conforms to his creation, establishment principles, and to what he has revealed uh, in his word. Now, what we've seen is that in this section of Proverbs, there are basically ten lessons. There's a few uh, comments, a few asides in there, but there are basically ten lessons from the father to his son. We've covered the first one, inadvertently I skipped into the third one last week, but we'll come back to that. We're in the second chapter, this is the second lesson, which is uh, a challenge to the son to protect himself from the wicked, from evil, and the way in which we do that is by internalizing The Word of God into our heart, into our soul, so that every aspect of our thinking is shaped by God's Word. Now, one of the problems that you and I will run into as we go through life is that the more we do that, the more you will be distant from the culture around you. The more your friends and family will think you're just a little bit strange that your ideas are just a little wacky, that you're taking this Bible stuff just a little too seriously. And this happens in a lot of cultures. Uh, when I first went to Dallas Seminary, I had three roommates that uh, I knew two of them from Campanile, uh, having counseled there. They, those, uh, I had two roommates, I guess. One was uh, uh, I knew from Campanile. The other one I didn't. But they, the other two were both uh, uh, um, going to Dallas Bible College. And then there were some uh, girls, there were four girls, I think, living in an apartment in the same complex, and all of those girls went to Dallas Bible College. And I knew three of them because they uh, had all worked at Campanile. And so one day, one of these girls was over, and she and one of my roommates constantly got into theological, doctrinal arguments. And I happened to be there, so she was arguing with both of us over something. I have no idea what it was. I always thought she was somewhat, you know, when God said he was passing out brains, she thought he said rain and ran and hid. Um, But um, she got so frustrated one day, she just looked at us and she just said, you're just militant biblicists. And I thought... Boy, that's what a great title! I think I could wear that my whole life with honor—a militant biblicist. That's what we need to be: is biblicists, where everything, in, in, every belief, everything we do, everything we invest our life into, we need to evaluate it from the framework uh, of God's word. And so that is what the writer of Proverbs is doing with his son. That's why he addresses every issue he can related to life in the book of Proverbs and why so many people love it because it seems so intensely practical. Well, let's do a little bit of a flyover here in the, this second chapter. In the, in the Hebrew, it's actually one poem. It's, it's integrated. It's one whole thought. It's not broken up, but it's one whole thought. But it is, there are two sections to it, and there's a division that occurs between verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 12 starts a new pattern that is a, a mirror, as it were, of the first half, a reflection of that which is taught in the first half of the, um, of the poem. Now, the first half of this poem reflects or pertains to the uh, development of the son's character, See, that's part of the responsibility of believers, uh, of believing parents is to train children to develop their character, not to make them characters, but to develop their character. And this involves some thinking on the part of parents. Parents should evaluate this. And the best place to start is with an understanding of the book of Proverbs. So the first part pertains to uh, character. How do you really train Children in terms of character. Now the application for all of us is that this is what God is doing in your life and mine as part of our sanctification. He is renovating our character, transforming it into the image of Christ. And so there is a lot of, of application there for the believer that we are to uh, let the Word of God transform our thinking, as Paul says in Romans twelve two, so that our character. Uh, imitates Christ's character. So the first four verses uh, lay down the conditions for this growth, and we see that if you pay attention to the if word, that's the expression of a conditional clause, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you in verse 1. Verse 3, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. Verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. That's the foundation, and that's what we'll look at primarily this morning, is what does, what does this entail? This entails making the Word of God uh, not only a priority, but your passion. No matter what your vocation is, your avocation should be to know the Word of God uh, intensely, and passionately, and this should drive you where everything else that you do in life is simply so that you can learn the word and you can grow to spiritual maturity and everything else is to feed that. So that's the foundation for developing character is the priority of the son to be humble and listen and internalize the word. As a result of that, we come to fear God and to know God, and this is seen in verses five through eight. We uh, that, that is what I've entitled this lesson: "Coming to Know God," because verse five tells us the result in what, uh, of, of the if clauses. If we do these things, then the result is you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then there's an explanation that comes in verse six for. The Lord gives wisdom. He's the one who's the source of this. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It doesn't come from the science department at Harvard or Princeton or Yale. It doesn't come from the history department at Texas A&M or SMU or the University of Texas. It doesn't come from human sources. It comes from God's word. He gives us the information we need to ultimately organize, interpret, understand that which we see in our uh, creative world. Uh, He's the one who, notice, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He, He's a shield uh, to those who walk uprightly. He guards, he preserves. These are the activities of God. If we are following the if conditions, then this is what God does on the other side. He guards, he stores, he protects, he preserves. Now, all of this is designed with a spiritual goal in mind, and that is that we are to learn righteousness. We are to learn righteousness so that this becomes part of our core character. Verses 9 through 11, then, see, we have a, uh, if you do this, verses 1 through 4, then you will understand God. That's 5 through 8. Then you will understand righteousness, And justice. And this isn't just an academic sort of understanding, but this is an understanding that permeates our thinking and how we do things. We do things according to righteousness and justice. And this occurs because wisdom, verse 10, wisdom has entered our heart. And this then in turn preserves us, protects us through discretion and understanding in verses 10 and 11. It delivers us from the way of evil, uh, verse 12. The second, this starts the second half of the, of this uh, proverb, this chapter, and it pertains to the way in which wisdom protects and preserves the son from the influence of evil. That influence that comes via the culture, via the peer group, via the uh, television, the media, uh, school teachers, all of the things. If you want to protect your children from the influence of the world, The way, only way to do that is to instill the word of God into them from an extremely young age. It's never too soon to start teaching them the word of God. But you can wait until it is pretty late and therefore pretty difficult. But the grace of God always gives us what we need to face any circumstance. So... The, this internalization of the word leads to deliverance. Verse 12, it delivers, us, delivers you, the son, from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness and darkness and those who rejoice in evil and who are crooked into the past. And I want you to notice something as we go through here, that, that this is this goes back to that opening slide, which I have uh, for the series on making the choices Look at verse, uh, starting in verse 7. Uh, God is a shield to those who walk uprightly. This em- emphasis on the path, the way, the walk, all of these relate together. Which path are you going to go down? God's a shield to those who walk uprightly guards the paths of justice verse 8 the way of his saints verse 8 uh, equity in every good path verse 9 go through here and as you're reading through the proverbs circle these these words that are similar that are used again and again as you go through and that helps you to trace through these these main ideas so it's the word of God that protects from the influence of the wicked and the evil the unrighteous in verses Um, 12 through 15, from the wicked, the immoral woman in verses 16 through 19, uh, deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress, uh, verses 16 to 19. And as a result, in the last three verses, the result is that we keep to the paths of righteousness and walk in the way of goodness, verse 20, and because the upright will dwell in the land and will remain in it, But in contrast, the wicked will be cut off. There are consequences to sin and evil. Well, that gives us our overview. Now let's look at the first part, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. 2, 1 through 5. It begins with stating the first condition. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. The result is you incline your ear to wisdom. Uh, or, or, this is further explained in verse 2 as, let me back up, it's, as the result is that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Verse 2 is sort of a parenthetical explanation inserted in the midst of these conditions. The conditions are in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, uh, verse 5. We see that as I have uh, underline them in this in this chart my son if you receive my words verse three if you cry out for discernment verse four if you seek curse silver and then the result is given in verse five so we look at this poem and we see that that he is telling us that the foundation is really a course or a path of knowledge the challenge here is a volitional one, and that is, are we willing to make this the priority to receive his words and to treasure his commands? But we need to understand something about what's going on in the background here and what this, this means. Uh, it's directed to the sun, and we have the first condition, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. This is the foundation for everything in the chapter. If we're going to avoid the path of unrighteousness, if we're going to avoid the path of divine discipline, if we're going to avoid the path of self-destruction, if we're going to avoid the path that leads to temptation, then the starting point is verse 1. We have to receive the words of God, and we have to treasure those commands now what does that mean to receive my words and to treasure my commands i don't know about you but when i read that first phrase and it says to receive my words that doesn't sound like a very strong expression Uh, what does it mean to receive or accept does that just simply mean well i believe that's true i accept that that's a good idea or is there a little bit something more going on there uh, I've put the two verbs up here on the screen. They are synonyms of one another and they emphasize uh, the significance and the seriousness that is embedded in the, these two verbs receiving the words isn't just something like somebody hands you something, you take it, fine, I appreciate it, put it in your pocket and move on. It's the idea of of, of taking something, but it also is a word for grasping it or seizing it, taking it and making it one's own possession. The word is often used in military uh, contexts of a conquest where a city or a town is taken by one military power seized from another country and made part of one's own country. So it is the idea of of actively grabbing something and making it part of one's own thinking, part of one's own being, where it becomes your very own thoughts. If you take my words, if you internalize my words, if you... Acquire my words so that they become your words, your thinking. That's the idea. And then this is parallel to the second line, treasuring my commands. This is the Hebrew verb, tzaphan, which means to hide something. That's its core meaning, to hide something. Uh, as you would your valuables when you go out of town hiding them in your house, maybe putting them in a safe deposit box, something of that nature. It has the idea also of storing something up, of, of concealing something, but it also the idea of internalizing it. So between these two words we get the idea that we are to take the word of God and we stress its value and its importance so much that we are taking it into our own our, our own thinking. Now, these ideas are repeated several times in Proverbs. Uh, we have a ref- statement of this at the very beginning of Proverbs, in Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 3, that we are to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. We're to take it and make it part of our own thinking. Proverbs four ten, father says again, hear my son and receive my sayings. Take them into your soul and make them part of your thinking. Result, the years of your life will be many. Again, in Proverbs uh, eight, uh, verse ten, receive uh, my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. This is again is a theme that we find running throughout Proverbs that we are to buy the truth and sell it not. It is more valuable, as David said in Psalm 19, it's more valuable, more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. The most valuable thing we can have is the word of God uh, in our soul. Uh, Proverbs uh, 10, verses 8 and 11 uh, also uh, talk about this, uh, use the word lachak uh, for taking. The wise in heart will receive or embrace commands. Commands is the, the Hebrew same word we have here in in, uh, in in and verse verse one of chapter two, where in the second line, treasuring commands, it's mitzvah, it's the commands of God's word, not just. We think of that sometimes mistakenly as a legalistic thing, but in the Old Testament, this was their The, the, the commands and prohibitions of the Mosaic Law established the protocols for their spiritual life. Whereas in the New Testament, we may not be under law, but there are still hundreds and hundreds of commands and prohibitions. For every believer, it's not our way of uh, of gaining God's favor, but now that we are in God's family, it lays down the, the protocols, it lays down the standards for living as a member uh, of God's family. So the wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. He doesn't receive the commands, and it leads to a collapse in his life. Proverbs twenty one eleven: when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when the wise is instructed, he receives, he embraces, he makes knowledge his own. A critical part of understanding the word. Now, this is, this is uh, seen also in the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we read, uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, a teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. A verse we've studied in depth just recently in our Colossians series that we are to internalize the Word of God. This is the New Testament counterpart to a principle that's laid down in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I want you to observe here the importance of this passing on of truth generationally because this b- provides a great backdrop for understanding the role of the father and the son as we see in Proverbs. Deuteronomy 6, 4, we have this core command that uh, in, within Judaism, hear, O Israel, means listen, pay attention, O Israel, Shema, uh, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Often it's translated the Lord is one, but we've studied this many times, even in the modern uh, uh, 1985 translation of the Tanakh from the Jewish Publication Society is a recognition that contextually this word Echad doesn't emphasize solitary monotheism, the Lord is one, but in the context it's an exclusiveness as opposed to worshiping the uh, many gods of the pagan culture so for israel there was one god not many gods and it is yahweh alone that we will worship and not these other gods and then the command to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your strength and i've paraphrased this because it in the hebrew it doesn't say with uh, with all your soul it says with all your all with everything that you are, you are all of your being and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. We have to internalize it. That's the same idea that we have in in, in Proverbs chapter two uh, verse one that we are to uh apply the uh to two, rather the second uh stanza, apply your heart to understanding. It has to enter into us and become part of us. Uh these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and then you shall teach them diligently to your children. "...and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up." This should be the norm, always in family conversation, should every issue in life should always be brought back to the Bible in some way or sense. This is the heartbeat of our thinking. "...you shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on on your gates." This is an emphasis that everything we do in life needs to be influenced by the Word of God because we have uh, internalized it and made it part of who we are. In the New Testament, in Romans 12, we have the injunction, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your thinking. That's my translation. It's focusing on changing our thinking. That you may demonstrate... That the will of God is good and acceptable and sufficient. We have to start there. We have to know the Word of God. So let me give you a couple of things to think about and how to internalize the Word. First of all, I want to challenge everyone, myself included, that we need to be better at memorizing Scripture. That is one way in which we internalize it, not just listening to the teaching of the Word, not just taking notes, but to memorize Scripture. Uh, It's very important. Number one, the first reason we see that it's important is because Jesus set this as a pattern for us. He set this pattern for us in his humanity It wasn't just that Jesus knew all of this scripture that he quoted. In fact, he quoted from 24 different Old Testament books, and some have said that he quoted uh, the scripture in one way or another over 180 times in the Gospels. Jesus was consistently quoting from the Old Testament. Now, he doesn't do that out of his deity. He does that from his humanity. That means he had to learn and memorize Scripture as he was growing up as a child and as a young man. He had to internalize the Word. He's not, he's not saying, oh, I need to claim a promise here. Let me let me put my humanity on hold and reach over here to my deity, and in my omniscience, I'm going to pull out these these verses. That's not what's happening because that would violate the whole issue of his humanity and the hypostatic union where he is showing us how we as human beings on the basis of our humanity should live. This is the whole kenosis issue over in Philippians chapter 2, that he, as it were, uh, shuts off the use of his divine attributes in order to live his life, make his choices as a man to fulfill uh, the dynamic, the the principle that he's the second Adam, uh, and as the second Adam he is going to uh, pass the test, not fail the test. So Jesus constantly quoted from the Hebrew Scriptures, and he knew it, he had memorized the Scriptures, so that's a pattern for him. We are to follow his leadership. Second, we're commanded for him to do it. I've just given you a couple of verses on that, Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and Deuteronomy 6:4 through 9. A third reason to memorize scripture is the verse we just looked at, Romans 12.2, is that it is fundamental to understanding, uh, uh, to this whole process of changing our thinking. The, more, to, the dynamics of memorization are fascinating because what you have to do is repeat the verse over and over again, unless you just have a photographic memory, which I don't think applies to uh, anyone here. Uh, you have to reflect on, you have to think about it, you have to repeat it over and over again. One way to memorize scripture is to write it out several times and to recite it several times. And that, as you, the more you do that and you think about what those words mean and what the connections are, the more it drives your thinking into the underlying thought structure of the verse so that you understand not you've memorized not just the words but you understand what it expresses in terms of its basic uh, basic thinking this is fundamental to what we'll see is in is important in in the whole concept of meditation a fourth reason that we are to uh, that we are to memorize scripture is given in psalm 119:11 It's vital for us in terms of dealing with sin. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Understanding the word of God, having it internalized as part of us, memorizing it is vital to winning in spiritual warfare and dealing with our own sin nature. A fifth reason to memorize scripture is that it, it enables us to develop a skill in terms of utilizing the uh, armor of God. In um, let me go in, in Ephesians six seventeen we read and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. That's the word of God. It's the word of God that is our the only thing here that gives us any. Uh, offensive action and it's really counter offensive action we look at how Jesus used the word in the temptations in the wilderness he used what he had memorized of the word to counter the temptation of Satan and uh, this is the machaira sword the short sword of the Roman soldier it wasn't the large Rompha sword the broad sword so it's less of a, uh, an offensive weapon as it is a, uh, a defensive weapon and a counter attack weapon and that's how we would use the Word of God in, uh, in, in our defense. So it's developing that skill by memorizing the Word. If you need to claim a promise, you don't know the promise, then how can you claim it? Can't do it. So we have to memorize Scripture in order to do that. A sixth reason is that it's the means for, uh, keeping us on the right path, not going down the wrong road. This is seen in Psalm 119. Uh, verse 9 psalm 119 uh, verse 9 which reads uh, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word so it keeps us on the right path and brings us back to the right path when we have erred uh, seventh reason to memorize scripture it's that it's foundational to the whole principle of meditating on scripture Joshua one eight, this book of the law, this command is given to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, for you shall meditate in it day and night. That, That merism there, the opposites, includes all the time. Think about it all the time. Reflect upon it all the time. For the purpose that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." So this is not talking about material success. It is talking about success in terms of God's plan for your life, whatever that may entail. For Joshua, that related to his victories over, over the Canaanites. Uh, David reflects upon this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression, walking Standing, sitting. But, in contrast to the unbeliever who has no value for the Word of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The result, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, rivers of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Again and again, the word of God relates success in life, successful living, not in terms of business success or professional success or or, or financial success, but success in living well as God would have us to live in terms of internalizing the word of God. And that means, at the very least, uh, memorizing scripture. And eighth reason to memorize scripture is that it strengthens your ability to communicate the gospel to unbelievers. I, I don't, all of us have had the experience of being in a conversation with somebody and we, and we just say, you know, there's a verse somewhere that says something like this. How foolish we sound. If you were a Mormon, you'd be drummed out. If you were Jehovah's Witness, you'd be drummed out. Because they're more serious about their scripture and they... Uh, have all kinds of programs to train their children so they memorize all of this and it's on the tip of their tongue. We need to do a much, much better job of that uh, as as Christians. So we need to learn verses. You should have 10, 15, 20 salvation verses at least memorized that you can repeat from memory scripture reference and verse. A ninth reason is that Scripture memory helps our prayers. I have a verse of this in John fifteen seven. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that means our words abide at the very least that scripture involves Scripture memory, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. See, if you internalize the Word of God, you're going to know what to pray for and how to pray for much better than if you don't know the Word of God, and so it will enhance and strengthen uh, your prayer life. The tenth reason is that Scripture memory will improve your study of the Bible because as you read in one place in the Word, you're going to think of some other verse that you've read or memorized that's in some other part of the Word, and so suddenly the Word becomes much smaller for you because you have a much better uh, grasp of it. So we need to, it's not a question. We need to memorize Scripture, and I'm going to try to get a list of uh, Bible memory verses up that we can post on the... Uh, Post on the website that's a starting point. Now, what are some practical guidelines? I just want to give you about seven quick guidelines and how you can uh, improve your Bible memory. First of all, one way to do it is just write verses out on note cards. Stick them out on note cards, tape them to your uh, rear-view uh, rear mirror in your car, stick them on the dashboard, don't cover up your speedometer with them, but just uh, stick them somewhere where you can look at them, put them on the mirror in your bathroom so that while you're combing your hair, brushing your teeth. You can reflect upon those verses. Uh, I have a friend who has Bible verses taped all over his house, kitchen cabinets, back of chairs, bookcases, wherever. Uh, Have these note cards that you can use to remind yourself of the verses. The younger you are doing this, the better. That shouldn't discourage those of us who are a little older Uh, But it just doesn't stay with me. The last five years, I've memorized Luke 2 and Matthew 2, the Christmas story, every year, and it's like I'm starting all over again, like I never read it before. But uh, the verses that I've memorized when I was a kid in Sunday school, going to Camp Penile, when I was in seminary in my 20s are verses that are constantly at the tip of my tongue, and I remember them. So the earlier, the better. And the best thing that you can do as parents is to play games with your kids and get your children at the earliest age to memorize Scripture. Uh, audio Bibles, listen to the Bible in your car. Uh, third, family training with your children. I just alluded to that. Uh, train your kids. You teach your kids to memorize Scripture, and guess what? You'll memorize a verse or two in the process. But teach your kids and, and get that into their thinking. Uh, fourth, set some goals for yourself that I'm going to memorize a verse a week or a verse a month or, or whatever it is, something that you can achieve and that you will accomplish. Don't make it too easy or you'll forget about it. Don't make it too hard that you can't achieve it, otherwise you'll quit. So set some realistic goals, make a plan, make it important for your life. And here's one that's a new addition to my list of things to do. Find an app you got a laptop you got a smartphone you have an ipad iphone android there i i got out on my uh, on, on my little on the app store on my iphone this morning and there were i just put in bible memory verses and there were 29 apps some of them were free some co- i don't know the quality some are probably better than others uh some were free some were $1.99 some were 2.99 I think the most expensive was 6 I don't know anybody here who can't afford $7 to improve their Bible memory. But there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. And so you can use your iPad, your iPhone, your computer, whatever, to improve your uh, Scripture memory. Uh, Put it to song if you're creative. Uh, Sally's done this with a lot of verses, and we've been uh, teaching some of those to the kids in prep school to help them with Bible Bible memory. And then last of all, read it over and over again. Read the verse a 100 times. Read it, the verse you're trying to memorize, read it 20 times every morning. Read the context. Read the chapter before, the chapter after. Think it through. Outline it. Uh, uh uh diagram it uh put it into a phrase structure whatever you take to dissect what that verse is saying so that you can easily grasp uh the content and uh get it into your soul but the bottom line is we need to internalize the word because there may come a time in the, even in this country when you don't have an access to a bible anymore that's happened in many other places. It happened in the Soviet Union. It happened in Nazi Germany. It happened in China. It happened in many, many places. And all that you're left with is what you've memorized. And you don't want to be left with only, only two verses. You never know. I, I'm always impressed by the stories I hear from, from, uh, soldiers, POWs in, from the Vietnam War era. And they were in the Hanoi Hilton. And they, they really hadn't made a lot of, some guys had memorized some scripture, some guys hadn't. They would remember bits and pieces and they figured out a form of, of code to tap out letters and things and they would, one guy would remember one line, the next guy would remember another line and they would, uh, uh, memorize scripture. And they would repeat promises to encourage themselves and to strengthen themselves in the midst of being, Uh, prisoners of war in uh, North Vietnam. And one day, you never know, we may be prisoners of war in our culture. And all that we may have is what's in our soul. And it's never too late to start preparing. But once it happens, then it's too late. That's the focus of Proverbs. Get it now, because when you need it, it's going to be too late to acquire the wisdom. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of the importance of uh, hearing your word, receiving it, treasuring it in our soul, making it a part and parcel of our life, that this is the foundation for all uh, spiritual growth, for all living, is that we need to think as you think. We need to take your word, and we need to make it a part of our lives. We need to internalize it where your thoughts are our thoughts, and we reflect your thinking in every area of our life. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they would take this opportunity to make that both sure and certain. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin. He paid the penalty so that you and I would not have to. All we need to do is trust in him, and his death is applied to us, and we receive eternal life. It's not based on anything we do, so there's nothing we can do to lose it. It's a free gift. Right now, right where you sit, is your opportunity to determine your eternal destiny, to believe that Jesus died for you, and at that instant, God gives you new life in Christ. Father, we pray that you would challenge all of us with what we have studied today in your word, that we might make it the priority in everything that we do. We pray in Christ's name, amen.